author of Hidden History, Crimes and Cover-Ups in American Politics, 1776 to 1963, and Survival of the Richest, Donald Jeffries separates the real from the unreal. Fact from fiction. Fact from fiction. Reverse engineering our manufactured reality. And now, from just outside the swamp-infested Washington, D.C., this is I Protest with Donald Jeffries. And welcome to I Protest. This is Donald Jeffries coming to you as, as the promo says every Friday from just outside the swamp-infested Washington, D.C. at this time. Very special theme-oriented show today, and it ended up uh, getting a, a better turnout than I expected. I thought, because uh, a couple of the people, as, as might be expected with a country that has more people incarcerated uh, with their private prisons than any nation ever has in the history of the world, uh, that probably some listeners in this audience may have experienced the prison life. And uh, we have a couple people that uh, one of them is going to join us later, Tom Cooper, and Angry Tiger is, is here, who is uh, obviously familiar with... Uh, I'm sure my audience and has his own Tiger's Den show as well as the Knights of the Storm. So he's a, a podcaster and himself doing great work. We have Brandon Hatch, who uh, discovered me in prison, contacted me. And, uh, you know, it was very uh, overwhelming to know that like, you know, the people are listening to me in prison or whatever. And he, uh, I think he got at least one of my books in the prison library. So that was very cool. And then uh, Ginger Kinsey who is a former prison psychologist, uh, also contacted me as well. So I'm sure she had some great stories that will uh, fit perfectly in with the theme of the show. So everyone, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Don. Oh, certainly. And, and why don't you start, uh, Angry Tiger? And uh, basically, I guess, uh, and you guys, you and Brandon can, and Tom later when he comes on, you can tell as much or as little of your story if you if you want to tell us the details of how you wound up in prison or whatever. I know for you and you, you had indicated it was a it ended up being something that you made a you know lemonade out of lemons and uh, you know it ended up being something where it was a, you, you came out of it I guess feeling like you got something accomplished. But what what if you want to talk about that? I'm sure people would love to hear. Well, yeah, um, how I got there is uh, I'll give you a quick synopsis. Basically. Um, I wasn't living my best life. I was around eh, 20, yeah, about 21. And I was, I was with a girl that was older and things weren't working out. And she started dating a guy who was friends with somebody in the ATF. So she was watching me. Like, I'm a firework guy, right? So back then I was dumb. I didn't even know how to make firecrackers. So I'm trying to make firecrackers, right? And she's watching me do this. And she tell, you know, after we break up and she tells her friend about this right and he tells his buddy and his buddy starts looking into me finds out that i was on the mailing list of the michigan militia you know a few years back and i i didn't really i thought it was cool to learn how to do military stuff i didn't even really wasn't a constitutionalist or had a political agenda i was just like cool i want to learn how to do this stuff you know watch too much 18 when i was a kid so you know fast forward she calls me one day and she says hey the ATF is going to raid your house tomorrow. And I'm like, I'm like, why? She's like, well, I talked to an agent and said you were making bombs and had machine guns. I'm like, come on. You know, I was like, they're not coming to my house. And, I, you know, I hung up on her. Next morning, sure enough, here comes the ATF and uh, like gangbusters. And they didn't, they raided the house, you know, killed the dog, the usual ATF nonsense. You know, there was like an army out there. And they didn't even arrest me that day. So, 
you know, they're taking pictures of me with all these military manuals and all my scientific, you know, I have a chemistry set and all this other stuff. They're just pulling stuff everywhere. Destroy my house. Let me go. A year later, I get pulled over and I go to jail and it's, there's a federal warrant. And that's wow. what happened. And basically, because I, when I was, before I was 18, I got convicted for having marijuana and it was a misdemeanor conviction, but the imprisonment time was for more than a one, one year. Well, federally, 922G, if you have a, a, a misdemeanor federally yeah. and you can be sentenced for more than a year, you're a felon in possession of a firearm. And I had a 22 rifle that, you know, I had, you know, I hunt a rabbit, small game, stuff like that with my dad. He's Italian, came over from Italy. You know, we hunt. So <laughs> that, that, that's what happened. So I had the 22. Bang, I'm going to jail. Got an expensive lawyer. And I, I'll never forget this, guys. I'm walking down the, the hall. And my lawyer says to the, uh, you know, the prosecuting attorney, this guy's small potatoes. You got really nothing on this guy. Why are you doing this? And the guy's like, oh, we got to peel a potato every now and then. So they gave me five years with a drug program. I get into I get into the prison and they don't recognize that I have the drug, drug program because I'm a violent felon because there's a gun in my case. So because the BOP is an entity onto itself that, that, that you know, has nothing to do with the court. So then at that point, you know, I, I now I know I'm going to be stuck there for most of my time, 80 percent of my time, you know, and that, that, that's basically how I got there. And that's what happened. And uh, then I tried getting myself out from the day I was in there. So right into the law library, I went. Well, just just off the top of my head, I mean, there's several things that jump out at me. First of all, you know, you had the small marijuana convictions and then uh, they combine that with fireworks. I mean, that's boy, that's that's. That's typical big, uh, big criminals they're going after there. Somebody was making fireworks. So it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't surprise me. But I, it's great that you were able to, to you know, make something out of it. And we'll talk a little bit more uh, uh, when we figure out, uh, we hear exactly uh, more about what you saw when you were behind there, maybe in, in terms of exactly what prison life is like. Uh, Brandon, um, you, you told me some things, but... Uh, Whatever, however you want to go deep into this, um, feel free. Or you don't have to tell everything personal, but I'm sure people would love to know how you found your way into our prison industrial complex. All right. Well, uh, I got married somewhat young. I think I was 20. Had a kid. Had another kid. Good job. Got divorced. Uh, it was really rough on me, so I decided I'd destroy my life. Got heavily into drugs, and uh, I always worked. But uh, I just uh, it was easier to sell drugs than keep down a job. So I was selling drugs at the time, and uh, two guys that actually looked out for and helped rot or tried to rob me. So uh, it didn't go very well for them. Uh, they're still alive, but uh, look a little different now. And uh, about a month goes by, and uh, I was getting a hotel because I had like five hotel rooms at the time in uh, in. A girl that I was seeing's brother just got out of prison, so I had him get it in his name because I knew I had warrants out for him. I didn't let him out of prison with warrants. So when I went back to the hotel the next morning, there was two dozen for him. They thought he was showing up, but I showed up instead. They ran my drugs on me, so they charged me with and saw the previous uh, incident with the two guys. So I went down the county. I was in county. They charged me with a whole list of crimes. And uh, I had a, 
a paid for public defender, which you know how that goes. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. they, uh, I, I was seeing a female judge at the time, and she said, if you take the plea deal, because I was going to plead to a, a distribution charge for the drugs and a kidnapping charge for the assault, which I live in Phoenix, and they love to blame everything on kidnapping, no matter what it is. It's kidnapping. So that way they can claim that the kidnapping capital of America. So I agreed to that, and it was going to be a five-year flat sentence for the drug charge and a seven-year sentence for the uh, kidnapping. And in, in Arizona, you do 85% your sentence unless it's flat, so it would be six years. I had to do the seven. And the judge said, if you sign it, I'll run them at the same time, meaning that I'd only have to do six years, and that six years would swallow up the five-year sentence. So I signed it. I went back to sentencing, saw a different judge, and he stacked them. So I ended up doing 11 years. Oh, to the Even though oh. I did people that they offered five-year plea deals, to, took it to trial and lost, and they got 28. You got to be out here. Brandon, you're, you're 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 saying some great important stuff, but you're breaking up a little bit. Are you using the internal mic? Uh, yeah, I, well, here I can. I don't know. Just, just I don't want to miss what you're saying, and some of your words are skipping. Try it now. Frozen now. Oh, now his video is frozen. Okay, we'll come back to Brandon. We'll come back to you in a minute. Oh, okay. Okay, there. You're now your video is frozen, uh, Brandon. All right. There. Is that better? Okay. Yeah, that's. I think that's better. Yeah. Go ahead. So, right. yeah. so I, I ended up getting sentenced to eleven years, which I did eleven years to the day exactly because the two leap years took off one day each year, each one of those that rolled around. So I got out two days before wow. the date on the anniversary of when I got arrested. Yeah. Uh, I went down to Yuma. In Arizona and did uh, six years on a three yard, which is a medium custody yard, then got bumped down to a two yard for my last five years. And then I uh, got in a, a fight like, I don't know, six months before I was getting out and got shipped up to Kingman for four months and then shipped back to uh, like they have a get out program yard here in Buckeye. So I was there for two months and then got out just over a year ago. Well, that's just incredible. You know, it doesn't seem to warrant, but uh, but that's the prison. Prisons are full of stories like yours, so I, I, I'm grateful that you're sharing that with us, and we'll talk more about what you saw behind bars there. Uh, Ginger, Kenzie, do you see the question on the screen from me from Chris Buckon? They want to know, I, I doubt that, but are you are you related to the Dr. Alfred Kinsey, he says? Uh, absolutely not. Um, okay. <laughs> Whole different area of research, I guess. But, but no. Ginger, Ginger Kinsey was not a prisoner, but she uh, certainly dealt with a lot of prisoners. She was a uh, prison psychologist. So uh, very interesting. And I'm sure she saw quite a bit too. How many, uh, when you, when you were uh, counseling patients, uh, counseling prisoners, did you, how, what a percentage of the people behind bars is my, my uh, impression is just from studying these things. And I may write a book about the prison industrial. I know Chris Graves wants me to do that one day, but uh, cause there's so many stories like this, so much injustice. Uh, when, when people are talking to you, uh, do, do any of them say, hey, you know, I got what I deserved? They call, I mean, or, or, or is it basically the same kind of thing? Well, they're, they're kind of 
either angry or frustrated at the unfairness of it all, or maybe they didn't do it or whatever. What, what basically, what did these people talk to you about? Well, I mean, there are some genuinely innocent people in prison. Of course, yeah. everybody typically says they're innocent, yeah. <laughs> but I've met some. Um, I did my pre-doc internship from 99 through 2000 and then did an independent contract position 2000 through 2001 with the Federal Bureau of Prisons. I was at FMC Carswell in Fort Worth, which is the only medical center for female federal prisoners. And then I did one day a week at the male facility across town. Um, and I can tell you, as I mentioned in my CV, I'm with medically retired law enforcement in my 11th year. So I'm not soft on crime, but I'm also somebody who really believes that you do the right thing. And when the federal marshals would bring in busloads of prisoners when I was on internship and I would read the brief before I did the initial assessment, some of them, just on the basis of the brief, there was clear prosecutorial misconduct to me as a prior law enforcement. I, you know, it, it was, and this is just with a brief synopsis. Now, I then, during that time period, spoke with an AG out of New Orleans Parish and told him some of my perceptions of what was going on. And um, he said to me, why do you think I'm resigning? He said, because I'm being expected to engage in prosecutions that have a, a political agenda behind them, and I'm not going to do it. So he was stepping down. So, um, you know, my experience across the lifespan, and I'm 65 now, is that very few people wield their power admirably or appropriately. Where's and where's that? Oh, I'm sorry, Ginger. Where's the background? The background noise is coming from somewhere. Does everybody hit that? Uh, is that you, Brandon? Yeah, it's probably mine. Just like okay, okay. I'm just sorry. This is kind of. I'm sorry. Go ahead, uh, Ginger. Uh, yeah, and then uh, you know, on top, and I go by Ginger, please. Um, okay. And, sure. and you know, the thing is that the sentencing guidelines were another issue um, because. And, and, you know, and I've come to believe you, you can call me a tinfoil hat conspiracy theorist, but right now a conspiracy theory lasts about six months until it's proven. And what we had at the federal level then were very disparate sentencing guidelines on the basis of whether you had powder cocaine or crack cocaine. So again, this is meant to divide the population. We are a very divided population right now. Um, so uh, I'll leave that right there. Okay. Uh, uh, number six over in Rockman said ginger is better than Marianne. Do you get a lot of ginger and Marianne jokes? <laughs> <laughs> number six. Just thought that that's our, that's our, our friend number six, but certainly, you know, you and we see what's going on right now with the, uh, the shenanigans of Trump again, that, that kind of thing, just that one guy alone. When you see these uh, the inconsistencies there, that that Soros funded prosecutor has uh, and this is happening all over the country where they're busting down. In one case, I think a rapist served 30 days under this guy and went out and raped five other women or something. But uh, they're busting felonies 
down to misdemeanors. And in this case, he's stretching to try to make Trump's misdemeanor, which is the statute of limitation expired for it, into a felony. So, I mean, would you did you did you get a lot of people complaining? But I mean, I, I'm looking at what happened to Brandon and Angry Tiger, uh, both in their own ways. In Angry Tiger's case, it was a uh, seems just like a spiteful woman. And of course, BATF, you know, people like law enforcement everywhere, they will, uh, you know, they'll overstep their authority. Did you get a lot of complaints about that uh, from that were just you know, say, hey, my my public defender, which I know they spend less than five minutes with their client typically on average. So you're not going to get much of a defense there. Did, did, what, what, did you get a lot of those complaints? Uh, yes. And, you know, I had one case that really stands. Well, there were several. Um, sometimes people are prosecuted on the basis of who they are. Mm -hmm. So uh, there was one case a number of years ago where this couple was, um, uh, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out how I can say it so I don't give away too much information. But the bottom line is these were two people who were upstanding citizens in their particular community. And they were high profile people who'd been in their business for decades. I think between the two of them at that point, they had 40 or 50 years of experience in this particular business. And they were taking some time off to go travel around the country in a Winnebago. So they leased out their property and it was a small acreage and they had a barn in the back. Well, the fellow who leased the property sublet the barn to a meth manufacturer. So you can see where this is going. These people are out and about uh, hundreds, if not thousands of miles away when the meth lab is taken down. And the feds made a deal with the guy who was the initial leasee of the property. Well, he already had a criminal past. These people had no prior criminal record. And when I spoke with the one party, um, because both husband and wife were put in prison, I said, what does your lawyer say? Uh, because uh, just the story and then the synopsis that came with the packet, it, it was just outrageous. It was a deal with the devil, quite frankly. And the woman said to me, she said, my lawyer says we will get off. But in the meanwhile, we've lost our reputation, our business, our property has been taken away. Um, so it, it's just, and that's just one example of the egregiousness. Yeah. Well, it's, 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 it's shocking. And I, I, uh, I watch, uh, not because I find that entertaining, but I watch a lot of these shows on an investigation discovery network. Uh, for, and I'm doing research for a potential book down the road. And I just, I'm just trying to see because it just astounds me when I look at these cases. And one of the most ridiculous ones is a show called Reasonable Doubt. I don't know if any of you guys have ever seen this, but it's, uh, it's an I good idea. And it's, uh, it's basically a retired police detective and a supposedly a defense attorney uh, that investigate these cases. And every one I've seen, every one, the person is obviously, you know, uh, not guilty because there's there's more than reasonable doubt in every case, and yet almost every case, they somehow side with the cops, they side with the legal system, and they tell the family, "I'm sorry, we can't help you. We can't hire." So it's 
when you see the evidence that people, so many people that are they're, they're sent to prison for life because some prison, some other prisoner snitched in jail or, or turned evidence for his own self. And that's the only evidence against them. Or they'll have somebody that the only evidence is somebody's testimony and they'll recant their testimony and they still go ahead with the prosecution. I, I'm just shocked that, at, at the, that there, again, there's so few, and we're seeing it now with January 6th. What, what, we're just seeing the people there. They, these people have been denied all due process. I would love, uh, Ginger, if you could talk to some of them. I can't, I'm sure they'd have some great stories for you there. I've had a few of them, not that are in prison, but people that are sub- possibly going to be prosecuted on this show. And it's, uh, it's terrible what's been done to them. And, and you can see the, these are, it's the same kind of thing. They're railroading them. They weren't even in the Capitol. Our friend Gary McBride, I know Angry Tiger was was part of that show. Whereas uh, Nicole, the woman that's uh, her husband's in prison, never even went in the Capitol. Was he in for seven years or something? There's stories like that <laughs> everywhere. It's uh, you know. So uh, I I don't know if you heard anything like that, but yeah. Um, At, why don't you um, talk a little bit about what. Um, what is prison life like? I mean, I, I you obviously, I, I'd hope you didn't have to deal with solitary confinement or getting beat. No, I've been in, I've been in the hole. Yeah, <laughs> I've been. In, they call it the hole. Oh, um, you know, it's it's not like uh, what, what was that show that 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 was on there? Um, uh, Venom or whatever the that HBO show Oz. It's nothing yeah. like that. Yeah. Okay, I can tell you that. Yeah. Um, you go in there. And you're going to get in the initial, I'm sure um, that he could speak to this as well. The guest, I can't see his name and I have a bad memory. Anyway, um, Chuck, I thought it was. Yeah, he could speak to this as well. You're going to get challenged some way, somehow for your stuff. It might be, you know, verbally at first and then it will be physically. So you're going to have that happen to you once or twice. Now, the problem with me is, is I got diesel. So I went to a bunch of different federal Bureau of Prison Holding Facilities. They decided to take me on a tour, took me by the hand and kissed it, puts me on the airliner, all shackled with my feet in my my hands, eating, you know, the prison peanuts, and flew me around the country and gave me a tour of their prison system. So, you know, it was rough going from place to place. But once you get to your initial prison, you get the challenge, then you, then you, you know, they leave you alone if you're up to it or you're going to be a victim and constantly giving people stuff, Right. And then after that, you got you have to find you're alone. You are totally, utterly, one hundred percent alone. And I can't describe it to someone unless it's been like, oh, I'm away from my family for two weeks. No, no, you're in a strange land mm-hmm. with its own rules, with a lot of rough people, a lot of aggro, a lot of male, you know, uh, tendencies going on. The whole thing is, you know, walking. Everybody's walking around like a, a cocked up, you know, rooster. And the problem is, is uh, you got to find a way to navigate that and live. Because now when you first get there, you don't understand that you're there for years. You know, your brain doesn't get that. It takes you months to understand that you are there for years and what that really means. You know, away from your family for years. If you have children, do you, if you're a parent, imagine that. Imagine being, you know, separated from your, your, your child like that. And I was a parent and. So you got to find, you have to hold on to your sanity while you're realizing all of that. Mm-hmm. And then you have to try to find someone socially to talk to because you are alone. Mm-hmm. And then that's tricky, right? 
because there's all kinds of scams going on in prison. There's all kinds of guys. There's hustles. There's all this stuff. And, you know, it's just there's a, it's a it's a different world, Don. It's like a world inside our world. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you see um, the kinds of gangs that we see on TV? Like were, were there white gangs and black gangs and Hispanic gangs? OK, so there's segregation in the BOP, but the gangs, the BOP does not allow that. See, so if, an example. If you get a bunch of bloods coming into one federal bureau of a prison, they'll start shipping them out all over mm-hmm. the place. You're usually never in your home state, usually from some other state. That's a tactic that they use. Same with the mob guys, the Italian mafia guys and the Russian mafia guys. These guys come in. If there's more than two or three, they, they get dispersed. Or if there's two or three from the same families, like I was you know, in there with a bunch of guys from the Genovese family. You know, These guys got separated. I was in there with Denny McClain, if you guys know who he is. The baseball player? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting man. But yeah. no. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, so the gangs, it's segregated. But here's the one thing I, I want to dispel. I'm going to shock a lot of people. I don't know how it is in the state. But in the Federal Bureau of Prisons, there's not like gang wars from what I've seen. Okay. There's disputes between people who hang out with their races. Okay. But everybody mm-hmm. tries to get along because there's commerce to be had. Right. There's other things going on. You try to get along. You got to sit in a TV room with 50 other guys and you guys got to pick a TV station and you, you can't come to violent means every time. Now I've seen that. I seen a guy get boiling baby oil dumped on him for an altercation over a TV. You know? Wow. Yeah. So, so how, it's how about another like world, a, guys. So it's not like uh, was it was show Orange is the New Black. That was that was women's prison. But I mean, I. I never watched it. Uh, it was ridiculous. Guy at work that used to like to watch, but uh, Brandon, I had muted you. I'm going to unmute you now. Hold on a sec, because of your background noise. Uh, so, how, how does how did your experiences jibe with uh, with Angry Tigers, Brandon? Um, well, I was in the state prison, so it's a little different than the federal prison. We actually had TVs in there, the little tiny TVs, but uh, so we didn't have to fight over the TV channels, which was nice. Oh, but uh, it's uh. I mean, and, and I'm in Arizona, which Arizona and California, I know, are still like really racially segregated. Like the prison tries to make it not that way or the, the administration tries to make it not that way. But that's just the way it is out here. So uh, there wasn't really like prison gangs like Bloods or anything in there. But like each race has their own outfit that they run with. And then you have people that are in charge of your race and then people that are in charge of that higher up and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, it's a lot of guys in there seem to like it because they they came from broken homes or something like that, so they don't have family on the street, so they have their family is inside there. So that's mm-hmm. you know what I mean. They're in and out their entire lives, and they enjoy it, and that's just life for them. But uh, I had a good family on the street, and I hated it. Like it was hard for me to find people to talk to that were somewhat intelligent and weren't high all the time or whatnot. So. Uh, but uh, I, I'm gonna go back to when uh, when I the crimes I was convicted of, I accepted that uh, I did contribute to the destruction of society. So I agreed to maybe the five years, but the the six years for the kidnapping was ridiculous because I mean they tried to rob me. So I, I'm still bewildered how our justice system doesn't see that as me being right however i decide to handle that so there's that but uh 
it's uh since it's racially divided in the state i'm in like if we had a good head on the yard he would look out for people of his own race that that maybe in other situations would be bullied or whatnot but if the person in charge of the race was not a good guy which more often than not that's how it was he they'd prey on people like that and mm -hmm. i mean if you had any money or anything like that you got preyed on gambling's really big in prison so like there's people that lose thousands of dollars a month gambling and stuff like that so i mean they were preyed on in that fashion but they were kind of also looked out for because they were a cash cow so i mean it's it's a completely different environment and like he was saying you, you do feel absolutely alone like i mean i was warehoused so i was in a big building that had 120 people per bay in it and these little cubicles and right when you get in there you're in bunk beds for quite a while and stuff like that you, you barely have any room you have absolutely no privacy which is i guess 100 years ago people didn't really have privacy and they're used to it, but i was used to having somewhat privacy i mean the toilets are side by side out in the open and stuff like that we did have dividers with showers it wasn't where you just went in a room and there was showers everywhere so at least there was that but i mean it human beings i think can get used to anything so eventually you do get used to it and you develop a routine and like it's as long as you stick to that routine the days go by but like when that routine gets interrupted it, it really messes with you and uh in this state i was in they don't bounce you around that much i mean unless you go and tell them your life's in danger or something like that then they'll move you but Normally when you hit a yard here, you're on it for quite some time until you either class up or class down. And uh, the lot, the library in there was really small. So that was horrible. They contrabanded like half the books I had sent in for just insane reasons. I have no idea why. And I like to read, but it was really loud. We did have rules where you had to be quiet after 10 PM and before 10 AM. So 10 to 10, you're supposed to be quiet. And that was somewhat enforced, just depending on who was in charge at the moment. So, I mean, you could get up early and read. And uh, the food is absolutely horrible. <laughs> and the only food you can almost buy is junk food. So, I mean, I, it, I it takes a couple food. of weeks to get used to that food, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it took a while. And I mean, and every so often they come out with a new menu because it'd be like a six week rotation. And like every other year or something, they'd come out with a new menu and they'd always take whatever two or three good meals we had off the menu and give us worse meals and try to save a buck or two that way. Well, either so, either one of you, either one of you guys, you see Chris Graves' comment on there about the prison gladiator fights. Thoughts that that actually Hollywood? is a real thing, guys. A yeah. real thing. I, Ginger might have heard of this if she was in the VOP, <laughs> but in Atlanta USP, they were having gladiator fights. The, the uh, prison guards were in charge of having gladiator fights they were gambling on it there was it was a big organized thing and they got actually busted i remember because i was in the county waiting for the federal agents you know the federal the marshals to pick me up and get me out and we were hearing about it hearing about it and then when i finally got to my mother prison i asked denny mclean about it i'm like dude what's with this gladiator he's like yeah he's like it's in papers man it's all over the place so well, D Danny McClain, I mean, I, I I don't know how many people, I, I, as a huge baseball fan, uh, you know, back in the day as a little kid, I, Danny McClain uh, was an, he was the last pitcher to win 30 games, no other pitcher, and he will be the last, there's nobody, there's no pitcher who's ever going to win 30 games again, but 
what what happened to him was really I, I could never understand what his crimes exactly were that and he he was in prison for a while, right? I mean, what 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 exactly did they claim? Was it all gambling? What was what were his crimes? Well, Denny McLean hung out in the law library too, so I, I I was you know I don't know how much I can say or what I can say, but I'll say this. Yeah. First of all, he got you know in trouble for smuggling cocaine. And oh, that, I didn't that, know that. Okay, okay. Yeah, that was in the seventies, and that looked pretty you know solid. And then he had a bunch of people. He he got a bunch of old people into an investment fund and robbed the investment fund. Oh, okay. So I met Denny McLean and, you know, I don't know if he can sue me or anything like that. So I don't want to say too many things about him, but let's put it like this. I don't want to say any too many bad things about Denny McLean. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, all all I know about him, I, I don't know about his prison life or anything, but, and maybe that's because of that, but, uh, it's to me, what he did in 1968 when the Tigers won the World Series, when he, he was the first pitcher at that time in, I think, 30-some 30, 30 years then to win 30 games, and no one has since. Uh, that's one of the most under-recognized accomplishments. It never gets mentioned. His hands are this big. And, and yeah. I got along with Denny very well because it was the wise thing to do. We played bocce ball. You got yeah. me, Denny McLean. The some crime boss from Philadelphia, so the, the the lawyer from the Genovese family, right? Some random black guy from you know wherever, and we're all playing bocce ball, right? I mean, this is I'm, I'm you know on a Sunday afternoon, and he loved me because I cooked, right? And I cooked this basil tuna pasta, and every night we cooked, and you know I I could say that, and he drank two cases of Diet Pepsi a day, yeah, that was and, his thing, and three or four boxes of Swiss rolls a day, so I mean it was. It was crazy. It was crazy. Well, you had an interesting group, anyhow. But uh, so that's uh, Ginger. What do you? You're. Uh, what I wanted to ask you was one of the, I think the, the biggest indications of just how corrupt this prison industrial con- uh, complex is is you hear, almost every week. And I've tried to get people from Project Innocence on here, and and, and there's another group that's like that too, uh, that have worked to, to free so many people that were wrongly convicted and DNA evidence uh, freed them. Did you ever counsel anyone that was saying I was innocent and then DNA evidence finally proved him uh, th- that he was and they got released? No, I didn't. But, you know, there's an extensive body of research on eyewitness testimony. And yes. eyewitness testimony is inherently flawed. Yes. Um, and I saw it when I was on the road, when people had no vested interest. My area of specialization was fatal accident invest and reconstruction. And, you know, people would tell me things that they were positive about that absolutely conflicted with the physical evidence, and they had no vested interest in whether somebody was charged or not. So I saw that firsthand. But in fact, the conviction rates tend to be higher in the presence of eyewitness testimony. Now, mm-hmm. you know, and so you have the errors that of judgment, of perception that are made immediately at the scene. So I'm getting a a statement within so many hours and there's already an error in judgment. But the other problem is, and uh, this is a bit of a tangent, but we need to be providing people with psychoeducation. We don't get an owner's manual for being the human being that is a a bit complex that we are. They wanna do this foolish CRT and all this other nonsense but, but they don't teach people about, for example, the biases that are there as a part of the flawed human condition. So anyway, once people give a statement to the police, even if they begin 
to question, well, maybe, because I will tell you, having worked extensively with the military, it, and, and this is true for police, anybody who goes through a potentially traumatic event really needs 48, 72 hours within which to get a good night's rest and memory consolidation to take place because typically you're going to begin to remember pieces that in the aftermath of the event, you don't immediately remember. So it's not about changing your story, but about pulling the pieces together, the fragmented pieces. But anyway, as people begin to realize, well, gee, maybe, maybe I wasn't right about this, then there's the concern about whether the police are gonna see them as making things up or lying. So they have an investment in maintaining the story that they initially gave, even if it's inaccurate. Right. And don't they, don't they? And so many of these witnesses come from, and there's a, you can see son of a gun, he's making some points on there. I, I quoted somebody, I think it was from survival of the riches in my book where uh, the guy had been in prison for 20 some years. And he said, I never met anyone in prison that was rich before he got here. I mean, the pr prison basically is for, is for the poor and lower middle class, working class, typically. Uh, you know, so did you, when you were counseling people, did you ever talk to any uh, frustrated former wealthy people who <laughs> were railroaded by the system? Well, the, the people that I spoke with you about that lost their whole farm and their business and right. yes, yes. And by the time, how do you make somebody like that whole? Are you going to return uh, at that point? I don't even know if the property went up on auction. So you don't get your property back. You don't get your vehicles back. Um, yes. Under asset so forfeiture. No. And the last prison setting that I was in and the last job that I had, and that this is, this led up to my decision to retire my license was out at Reeves County units one and two in Pecos, Texas, basically a close to an 800 mile round trip drive for me. But I, I am bilingual. I don't lay claim to being fluent, just conversational, but I wanted to work with this population. So this was a Bureau of Prisons, privately run prison owned by the county. Whoa. And this is where it gets really sketchy because the prison still has bonds, as I understood it, to owned by the county. It's under the auspices of the Bureau of Prisons but there's state involvement somehow. So when I was trying to reach out to different IGs about what was going on, I reached out to the UC, um, uh, ACLU in Houston, even though I don't typically agree with a lot of their politics. Um, and I couldn't get anybody to listen. I was directed all different kinds of places. But um, this was now a prison setting that had been open when I got there about a year. In 2013, there was a prison takeover there. They set the place afire. And, and you could tell they barely made this prison setting a place that was really habitable, really. Um, there were a lot of, because I have a background, obviously, in security, there were major lapses. Uh, towards the end of my stay there, I came in on a Tuesday morning and the control, which is... It, that's where you're normally buzzed in and then you go through the scanners and uh, that is the heart central for security. Well, the door was broken. 
So I had already raised a number of other issues. So I said, I wonder how long this is going to go on. Because if somebody comes in here, we had a lot of gangs because this was a private prison setting for adjudicated non-citizens. We had some people from Europe and some people from Africa and um, Canada, but the vast majority of people were Latinos from south of the border into Central South America. So we had a lot of gang issues there. So finally on Thursday morning, after it's been 48 hours, and this is impacting my security in the facility, I finally said to the people, uh, you know, behind the bulletproof glass, I said, is anybody going to fix the door? Because this is a major security issue. But again, we have county, state, and federal people involved. We're failing all the mental health and the medical audits for good reason. So within, uh, it was like less than two hours, they had that door fixed. But they shortened. My contract was supposed to run through May. I got my walking papers, 30 days notice to be out the end of February. Um, and then because I could not get a reference, even though I was doing the right thing, I was supposed to go on with the Air Force to be training embedded with their law enforcement trainees and their canine unit. And I got five thumbs up from the chain of command they wouldn't give me a reference. And so within the federal government, without that reference, you're not getting a job. So as time went on, um, by and I was working for WellPath Healthcare, a major billion dollar federal healthcare company. And I was raising issues that prisoners were not being treated, were being paid to provide a service. And I expect that the taxpayers expect me to do what I'm paid to do. And we, we were failing all the audits. And um, now the, the other piece to that is because that prison was substandard, absolutely. So it may have been a BOP facility in terms of oversight. It was not a BOP facility. Um, it was barely habitable, as I said, but the other thing was these were prisoners who were typically, they were all at the, that point, low to medium security, even though they may have been a max back in the day. Right now they are low and medium security, but because this was during COVID, this was August of 20 through February of 21 with those draconian lockdown, these people were like in high, uh, a max unit. That's what these people were being held like, and I will tell you, the gangs ran the prison without any doubt. And so to give you an example of what was going on in terms of medical issues, we had people say they're 60 something years old, they're using a walker, they have uh, diabetes with a lot of neuropathy. The gangs would take their designated bunk, which was on the lower unit, lower bunk and make them walk up these very steep metal stairs and take a top bunk in the top floor of the unit and nothing could be done about it because the gangs were running the prison absolutely well uh, and my friend vince agnelli uh, lb burns 79 says how many years has it been since the movie brubaker 
was released in credit. And, and that's just one movie. There have been lots of movies that showed how uh, corrupt the prison system was. Going back to, uh, you know, I, I was a fugitive from a chain gang. If you remember that movie, 1933, I think. Um, and nothing ever changed. And then you mentioned private prisons with the, with the advent of private prisons, which and I'm sure you know this. I talked about this in uh, Hidden History, um, that uh, you know, they have minimum occupancy rates like a hotel. And so if, if they're not full of prisoners, the taxpayers have to make up the difference. So basically, you're punished as a taxpayer if, you, if, you, if the crime rate goes down or whatever. So they have every incentive to, to, uh, to continue to, uh, to fill these uh, prison cells up. Uh, Angry Tiger, so you came into this world, and we're kind of the conspiracy world, before you went to prison. How much did it radicalize you? Like, did you have a, a lot of these beliefs before, or did this really harden you and, and, and force you to see how corrupt everything was? Oh, hold on a second. I can't. Uh... Sorry, Angry Tiger, you were muted accidentally. Sorry about that. Go... Oh, no, you're still. Sorry. Muted. Okay, there. Anyway. I don't know. I don't know why you were muted. Okay, there. Sorry. No, I muted myself while everybody else was talking. Oh, okay. 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 That's great. Um, anyways, yeah, um, I wasn't into any of that. I didn't know about the Federal Reserve. I didn't know about, you know, any of the stuff that we talk about now. I was partying and doing all that stuff before I went to prison. Mm -hmm. Then once I got into the law library and, and people, normal people, when I tell them this, they don't understand. They, they, they think I'm lying. So I, we found, you know, we're talking to all these people. You, you learn all these laws, conspiracy law. Me and Don get mad at Ginger. <laughs> and we go to a federal grand jury and say, you know, that ginger lady, she's, she, we've been, you know, she's been selling us cocaine, kilos of it, right? And on and on and on. She, it, that's it, you're done. You get two or more people saying you're, you know, you did a crime and you're, you are getting indicted. And this is the problem with this. The federal conviction rate back when I was there, I haven't been there, you know, it's been 20, 20 some years since I was in prison. It was 98% at that yes, time. Yes, yes, yeah. So how do you, and, and the reason is, is because they tell you, look, they told me, we're going to give you 20 to 15 to 20 years. That's your, your mandatory, that's your sentencing guidelines, you know, because they even count your juvenile stuff in the federal prison. They go all the way, whatever they can, any point against you, they will, they will hold it against you. And then you get these points and that's how they sentence you. Like she said, it's not fair, but you, you know, they, they give you this point system. You go in there and they, but they tell you, we're going to give you 15, 20 years, or you can take our plea you know, for five right. and you take the plea and that's why they got this 98%. And then they tell you, Hey, you know, we got a 98% conviction rate. So, <laughs> and your lawyer tells you that. Yeah. Well, un unless you're, unless you're Hillary Clinton's lawyer, you know, he, uh, he, he managed to dodge that 98% conviction rate. He None was found not guilty. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. So unless you're somebody well, you know, like the that. other thing is Franco, that the average person on the street has difficulty believing that people would, number one, confess to a crime. And if they're being treated inappropriately by investigators, they may very well confess to a crime that they didn't do. Or people who plead guilty and they say, well, why would anyone plead guilty? Well, be because you don't have the funds to pursue uh, uh, you know, criminal defenses. Um, last I heard, start at 10 grand. And that's just to start. And then they bill by the hour. 
so you can't afford it. Uh, you know, and that's the reason I retired my license, because I said if the licensing board comes after me for bringing, quote unquote, discredit to the profession, when I say if the shoe fits, wear it, um, am I going to be able to spend the money to take on the state of Texas because that licensing board is coming after me. And the thing was, I called to A.G. Paxton's office, and I have this on tape, and I said, I'd like to file a complaint against my licensing board for the unethical behavior that went on in that last prison that I worked at. And the woman said, well, we, we don't take complaints against sister agencies. I said, well, exactly who do you investigate? And she said, private industry. So see, there is a shift in our culture along with all of this other, all the other parts to this pandemic to move physicians into hospitals and to move anybody in private practice into a quote unquote exempt agency, which is a university setting. It's anything related to the federal or state government. Uh, universities, the VA, the Department of Defense, Bureau of Prisons, because once you're in there, the regulatory oversight is virtually non-existent. Unless you as a provider rape somebody or kill somebody, they'll dismiss your complaint. I was going to have the binder with me. I submitted a two-inch binder that took me almost six months to put together, and it went to the Arizona Board of Psychology, as well as the Texas Board, they dismissed it at the first stage. Now, the interesting thing is my prior licensing board, right on the website says, we have 500 plus outstanding complaints against providers. Well, what are you doing with those complaints when you say your ostensible mission is to protect the public? I don't think you're protecting, even if only 10% of those are bona fide. There's over 50 that are going to take you six months to a year. I submitted my complaint May of last year, May of 22. Middle of May, Texas Licensing Board sends me a letter. We're in receipt of your complaint. It could take six months to a year to investigate. Middle of October, I called the enforcement division. And I said, I'd like to know what the status is of my complaint. The fellow answering, oh, uh, did you not get our letter? That complaint was dismissed July 18th. I said, really? Do, are you sure we have your, uh, your uh, address? I said, of course you have my address. And then they're going to want close to $500 to license me this year? No. Hmm. No, I am done. I'm a consultant, psychoeducator. And, and you know what? Here's the interesting thing, too. And I'm, I know I'm a, a bit on a tangent here, but if you feel like a woman and you're a man, you can be a woman. But did you know that being a clinical psychologist is a proprietary term? And if you're not licensed, you can't use it. But I had can a. Can identify as one? Okay. You can't. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Well, that's the thing. I feel like one. I started my yeah. grant program yeah. 30 years yeah. ago this year. So that's yeah. going to be an argument I'm going to be making. Yeah. Well, and, and a lot of people are going to be making those kind of arguments. Uh, Brandon, <laughs> I'm going to ask you the same question I asked uh, Angry Tiger. And, and certainly, when you got to the point where you were uh, 
you were, you were desperate enough to reach out to my book, Hidden History, and start reading it and, and elaborate. It was prison. Did you see the world differently before you went in, or did, did it radicalize you to the point where you were uh, drawn to my work? Uh, no, before I went in, I, I'd read about 9-11 and stuff like that. Mm. But uh, once I was in, I actually read uh, The Creature from Jekyll Island in there. So I oh, yes. more about yeah. banking, the fraudulent Federal Reserve and stuff like that. But, uh, I mean, it, it changed my view of the way the government, I mean, they aren't there to help you at all. And uh, hundreds of years ago, prisons didn't exist. If people committed a crime, you, you were punished physically instead right. of time taken away from you, which is, I mean, people, even in, I talk about it in prison, normally didn't agree, but uh, it'd probably work a lot better. Like if, if you did something wrong, if they just tied you to a pole and whipped you, you'd probably stop doing that thing wrong. And we wouldn't have this huge bureaucracy that we have Public now. stocks. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And it, it's actually more humane, I think, than, than taking years away from people. Like I said, half the people in there seem to like it, though. It's 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 a bizarre world where, yeah. especially these youngsters, it's, I mean, it's, it's understandable why they do, but in a... I actually did four months of my 11 years was at a private prison and they had a, they don't pay their guards nearly what the state pays, which they don't pay their guards nearly anything either. So they had Interesting. a thing. I thought private industry paid better. Don't we hear that all the time? The food yeah. sucks well, in those places and the private ones, it's better. worse. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. So they had a, a huge problem there with uh, the guards bringing drugs in and stuff like that, which I mean, that happens everywhere, but it, it was massive there. It was, I mean, drugs were almost the same price they'd be on the street inside a prison, which is just crazy to think about. Wow. The marketplace is corrupt even in prison. So uh, so basically, that the, the, you're saying between the, uh, the between a government-run prison and a private prison, private prison overall was worse? Yeah, one of them was worse. Yeah. The one in Kingman was. But the other one, they have... There's two different companies in Arizona that run private prisons. And the other one... They must have had a lot of inmates in the law library or something because they had to, you're supposed to get like a four inch mattress, which I mean, the mattresses they use is, are like two inches thick because they've been using them for years. But that private prison would give you a new mattress every year and give you new clothes and stuff like that. Where the other one I went to, they lost all my clothes on the way up there, of course. So when I got there, they gave me used clothes and stuff like that. And they cut every corner they possibly could. So, I mean... It, it really depends on which private prison you land on, who it's run by, whether it's better or worse. Some things were uh, better about the private prison, but the one I was at wasn't, certainly. But uh, the other one, they changed the air conditioning units and made sure the air conditioners worked and stuff like that, where, like, the state one down in Yuma, the air conditioners went out and they didn't fix them for years. So it was 100 degrees in the building in the middle of summer. Wow. Yeah, we didn't have air conditions in any of the places that I went. Only the like a large facility like Oklahoma or like Atlanta USP down south. But in the northern prisons, federal prisons, there were no air conditioners. And I was in Taft in California, and that mm -hmm. was being privately run. And I'll tell you what, I'm a little guy, so I don't know how the bigger guys felt, right? Okay, I weigh 150 pounds soaking wet. And back then, maybe 130 pounds because, like I said, I wasn't living my best, right? And I was constantly hungry. They barely they feed you just enough to live. 
in that place. It, that I didn't, I'll never forget that. I knew what hunger was. Let me tell you, you would do You would save a biscuit. Some of the guys would save their condiments. So they'd have something to eat later, you know, they, a piece of this, a piece of that. And it'd be like a goulash or something. That's how hungry you were. You're, you're like a squirrel squirreling stuff away. That's horrible. People don't understand the time, the time that you get taken away from you. You don't get that. Re- you can't replace that. Mm-hmm. Your, your, your time is your, your life is on pause. The outside world's going on by and you're in prison and you're, you're agonizing over what's going on with your loved ones. See, you know, and something happens to your loved one, heaven forbid, you know, or they're going through a rough time and you're not there for them. That, that for me, I, I don't know about you, Brandon, but that for me was the most devastating part of the whole experience. Yeah, it, it certainly was. I mean, when I went in, I, had, I have two daughters and they were somewhat young. And when I came out, they're grown. So my relationship with them is stressed at best now because, I mean, I've missed a huge portion of their life. They'd come and see me and stuff like that, but it's, I mean, you're happy to have visitors down there, but at the same time, it's its kind of depressing because they see you and then they leave and it's just really stressful, the entire thing. Oh, I can only imagine. Lori Light over here brings up a point I was going to ask both of you, but I'll ask you Angry Tiger first. Uh, Lori Light said, uh, she mentioned about the families and, and uh, Brandon has just touched on it a little bit. Uh, so many people, especially they go in for a long stretch, like their their girl, you know, abandons them or whatever, you know, they, they and, and, you know, you can almost understand it. You're going to be in there for 10 years. It's hard to, you know, remain faithful like that. But um, how how was your family when you went in? I don't know what your relationship was. I think you said you were already a father. So uh, did, did you have regular visitors from your family? Did anyone abandon you or did they stand I, by I, you? I had, I had a, a girl that stuck with me through the whole thing. She was just a girlfriend. But I, you know, my, my son, um, I did not want them, him to see me, you know, it was going to be five years. I had already had custody of my son before I went to prison. I was taking care of him. You know, I was, I was, I was a body guy. I was still, I, like I said, I wasn't living the greatest, but I took care of my kid. And, uh, you know, that was, you know, when I got back, you know, I think I went, when I went in, he was four. And when I came out, he's eight, you know, eight and a half, nine. It's mm-hmm. like wow you know i missed all that all that time all that time and like i had to relearn them i had to understand and then i had to being young because i was still young i wasn't good at it brandon hopefully hopefully you're not having this problem things change so much out here socially what people you know what the kids are into nowadays it's a different planet than from when we were kids i can imagine how detached everything is from how things are with your kids to how you are you know what i mean what's going on today in society to what you know and i can't dude hats off to you you were in there during covid then right yeah i was in there during oh COVID. my god i i, I thank yeah. god every day that i got that over with before. Well, why weren't you with that but they released so many prisoners did they just release all the real violent ones during covid I mean, what was, what was, <laughs> did they just do the ass backwards thing i'm guessing because that's what they always do <clears throat> Yeah, it was pretty draconian for people under COVID. I mean, it, it was just outrageous. So did you, uh, what was your, I don't know if you knew, uh, Ginger, that many people that were released, but and that was one of the things, and I'll be writing about it in my upcoming book. And and you're obviously on our world because you referred to it as pandemic, and I'll have a book about the pandemic coming yeah, up. Yeah, you know so. about Jekyll Island. You know about oh, yeah. Yeah, well, oh, yeah. well, uh, Brandon knows about federal Jay. reserve we, that's neither federal nor reserve. And, oh and of yeah, Jay six, yeah, absolutely. You know, the J six people aren't even in constitutional America. I'm not no. a lawyer, oh. 
But but that is a separate entity. They might as well be in the Vatican. Yes, yeah. they're in the VOP. They're in the federal VOP. That's right. Yeah, they're denied all due process, and no one cares. It's unbelievable. It's like there's no right. There's nobody right. out there that's saying this is an outrage. You can't. And uh, Brandon, just when you mentioned the creature from Jekyll Island, uh, I've had Edward Lee, uh, Edward, uh, God. Edward G. Uh, Dave, Griffin. Edward G. Griffin. God, I can't believe I get, I get him mixed up with the other Griffin that David got. Edward G. Griffin's been on the show twice, 90 some years old now. And uh, and what happened to. Uh... He's gone. Yeah, where'd he go? Oh, no, he's there. Okay, he's trying to. Oh, I got to add him back. Ah. Okay, I don't know if you heard me, Brandon. I don't know how somehow you disappeared, but uh, I was talking about. Uh, uh, Edward G. Griffin, who's been on, who wrote the creature of Decalion, he's been on the show twice. So if you go to the archives, you can catch that. And I have a autographed copy he sent me of the book, and uh, he's ninety some years old, very very sharp, still does great interviews. So if you haven't seen those, uh, you might want to watch that. But uh, so you know what what I what I find from 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 both of um, Angry Tiger and and uh, Brandon, neither one of your stories, I mean, obviously sad enough, but. Uh, it's not certainly uh, at the level where you see uh, when you see all these people that uh, serve thirty. I want the I think I think maybe the record is forty three or something. A number of years they've served, and then they're finally released by DNA evidence. And then the system is so corrupt, they still fight it. The right. prosecutor doesn't want to admit they were wrong, and this exactly. and they'll punish them. I mean, it should be rele released the instant. And uh, they don't want to give them, not that any money can ever make back for imagine losing 40 years. You guys lost what you lost, but I mean, losing a year to me would be just an, an incredible deal. But there's so, it's so frightening how you can get an innocent person can be in the wrong place at the right time, at the wrong place at the wrong time. And I go back to Richard Halpman, you know, the Lindbergh kid. I've written a lot about that. And that, that was the guy, he just, he was an immigrant at the, the wrong time. He was a German immigrant and he, he was completely framed, and they knew it. They doctored. They found out decades later that they doctored his time card because the excuse was I was at work. The district attorney was a who was a uh, very you know ambitious guy, like they all are. He they found out later that he doctored it, and they used that as evidence against him. So that's the system will go to all kinds of uh, means to do it. If you and if you if you wanted to hope for the future, if you looked at. Uh, Recently, some of these uh, some of these clowns that uh, Biden is nominating for for federal judge, he nominated this guy, and uh, he didn't know what he, he the, the Republican senator asked him to uh, you know what do you, what do you think of the Brady rule, and he didn't know what it was. I mean that's that's a rule that you know requires uh, the prosecution to provide exculpatory evidence to the defense. So if this guy's going to be a federal judge and he doesn't even know what that is. I mean, how likely is he going to be to provide exculpatory evidence to defense? But anyway, I, that's, that's, I, you know, I can't paint a, a worse picture, but you guys have experienced it. That's why I'm fascinated. You guys experienced it firsthand. And uh, you know, it's, it must be, I, I, I would, so when you, when you, when you came out, Brandon, um, was your family, still there you said you, you you have a strained relationship with your daughter i mean how, how i which is understandable after you know you're gone all that time no no there's they're still here so luckily i mean and there's a lot of guys in there that were actually really close to their moms they they probably like the the johnny paycheck song you know i'm the only hell my mama ever raised where <laughs> they uh so I don't know, maybe 20% had really, really tight relationships with their family where they'd call them every day like that. And then 
20% were estranged. They talked to them once a blue moon and then like 60% of the people, they have absolutely no contact with their families, with their parents, with their kids, with any family members at all. Oh, that's horrible. That's so good. And, and John Bassiglone, if you look at the comment on the screen, he bring, I was going to bring about that, about what, what happens after you get out of prison. Uh, you know, people don't want to hire, especially an ex-felon or whatever like that. And so you get it's hard enough to get a job. Uh, what, what what did was your experiences in that area, Angry Tiger? Oh, I had a trade and I had a good reputation. I mean, anybody you'd call about me, I was an auto body man. And uh, nope, there's certain there are certain dealerships that you know you try to work in a car dealership like GM or you know GM Chrysler Plymouth or whatever you know uh, Don Jeffries GM Chrysler Chrysler <laughs> Plymouth Monday 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 one of them places right right, right. they won't hire you you know and then they see the felony on there and that's that that's a nightmare. And, you know, I'll, I'll even be honest with you. When I first started getting in the chats or in, on some of the shows, I didn't want anybody to know I was a felony, even though I know I'm very proud of who I am. You still just you, you learn yeah. not to tell people about it. I asked a buddy yeah. to come on the show. He said, no, I don't want everybody to see me. No, I'm a felon. Yeah, but I understand. That's why I'm I'm, 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 I'm glad that you had the courage to do it and Brandon had the courage to do it. And Ginger here talking about what she and I hope we're still going to see Tom Cooper as well. Uh but it's uh, it's amazing to me that, as you said, uh, Brandon. Again, you said like sixty some percent of the um, the prisoners their their fam they don't see their families or they are they abandoned by the time they get out. They just don't get yeah, visits. They, or... Well, I mean, a lot of them come from broken families, so they they have no contact with their family whatsoever. And they're the the people that get visits normally. It's like. 120 people are in my bay and it'd be the same 20 people normally that would get visits here and there. You know what I mean? So a lot of them, like I said, that, that becomes their family. So it, it's a cycle where these people just, that everybody they knows in there, they go on the streets, they talk to the people that they're in there with and they go back in and mm -hmm. it, it's, it's, it's a whole different, like it's hard to explain unless you've been in a, a situation like that. And, and really seen it firsthand. And I mean, I felt bad for a lot of the people because, I mean, they come from broken homes. Normally their parents were on drugs or in and out of prison. And like, it's a generational thing. There is, they, right. they purposely try to make it where you can't be on the same yard with family members. But I met, I probably saw five or six guys that were in there and their dads were in there with them on the same yard. So... <laughs> But, you know, Brandon, you mentioned basically what amounts to institutionalization. Yeah. And but but we are creatures of habit. That's another thing about psychoeducation. People say the same thing about domestic violence victims. Why didn't they get out before they were pushed? I've worked with a number of women, one in particular, who actually ended up behind a 25 year sentence for ending up taking that final step and then jury her peers gave her 25 years for killing her assailant. But we become creatures of habit. We go with what we know. It may be a rut and it may not be the greatest rut, but it's our rut. But I wanted to speak to institutionalization beginning with children because I was with a brief stint, six, seven months with Texas Youth Commission before it got taken over. And there are people, once the Rangers came in, there are people behind very long sentences for the sexual abuse of those children in those facilities. 
but I had one child that came in uh, late and, and the guard came to me and he said, ma'am, I need to talk to you about this child and I need to find diapers. The child is 10 years old. He was 10, zero months. That's the youngest Texas Youth Commission could take a child. And he said, I need diapers because he's incontinent. He doesn't hold his bowels. And I, I said to the guard, I said, exactly what is he in here for? He had just arrived. He said, trying to stab his mother. I said, the mother that didn't protect him from being sodomized to the point that he has permanent rectal injuries? Mm. Sounds reasonable to me. Well, what, what, what about that? You know, what, that's what we hear. Uh, we hear so much about that going on in prison. About rape and and Lori, Lori Light over here brings up a good. She said something about she used to check in with prisons and she used to have to dress in uh, incredibly baggy clothing because guys would be. I guess they're not used to seeing any women. Uh, how you know how how was that in terms of uh, Angry Tiger? At first, you know, did you is that a myth that we see where somebody becomes somebody's bitch and the, the guards it, turn the other way when that happens and all that? This is the way that it, that it was in federal prison. Unless you did something really bad to somebody, right? That might happen to you. But there were enough effeminate men, you know, homosexual men. That was their hustle. See, you're right, institutionalized. You're yeah. not gay if if this guy is doing something for you, performing some kind of service for you, right? right you give right. him two Snicker bars and a, a, a thing of mackerel, and he's going to perform a service. So that that was not um, a, a thing. You didn't you didn't see it, you know. It, and but you knew the shemales. I had one had a crush on me. It was bad. You know, I call him a female. I don't mean, I mean, I'm talking old school terms, guys. I mean, some dude who thinks he, he's gay, right? Mm -hmm. You know, they're doing their hair like they're gay. They're they're walking around smearing cocoa butter all over themselves so they stink. You know, it, right. they're trying to mimic being a woman. And, and, and you know people are using their service. Guys got 10 years, 20 years. Yeah. You know, they, that's how it is. It's understandable. Yeah. Right, you know. Right, and the person who is the doer of the act doesn't see themselves as in any way impacting their sexual orientation. No, the no, recipient. not at all. And that's yep. right. That's right. That's right. Uh, Brandon, do you have the same kind? Of, uh, somebody, uh, yeah. Did you have the same kind of experience? Uh, where you um, were? Yeah, Arizona and California, like, I mean, rapes probably happen, but they're incredibly rare in there because our yards are different like if you're convicted of any sexual crime in this state or california you're put on a different yard for your protection because you can't just walk in a, a general population yard but like there was guys in there that had done time back east or something like that and they said it, it's rampant like i mean especially if you're a smaller guy or something like that it, you're in danger of getting raped pretty much all the time so and of course, that could wow. that could only happen one. You know, I I said when I first started hearing about that so long ago, I said, you know what? What it was, I was still a little naive, and I said, wait a minute, you know, but it's the guards are there, right? And, but I mean, obviously, the guards. And this is a question for both you guys: how how corrupt are these guards? I mean, how because I mean, I get the impression that they, you know, they I don't know if they participate in that stuff, but they certainly turn their other way, and they I think they turn their other way if somebody's maybe meeting out prison justice to somebody. I mean. Am I wrong in that, or or is is that the way it works? I I, I don't. I, one one more thing about that: reckless eyeballing is a charge in prison. If there's a female guard and you're staring at her, you oh. can get a reckless. They call it reckless eyeballing. 
Wow. Or, or if you're if you're intimidating in a, a mail guard, reckless eyeballing. But I, you know, lots of corruption, Don. You got to be really careful. Like I, I had a guard, you know, the guy that was in charge of education for me. He didn't like me, messed with me all the time, said said crap to me that was stupid. But I didn't complain because what if they find an ounce of cocaine in my locker or some yeah. marijuana in my locker, mm-hmm. right? Or, or or they send somebody to you know to to you know fight with me and then I get another charge. So you have to be really smart. Don't mess with the guards. But I've seen a guard get thrown off a you know two story tier and you know get crippled. I've seen that too. Yeah, well, but you know, Franco, even with me, I was insisting the guards did their job to assist me in providing services. And I actually had one, and he was former Marine, and he came up to me. He said, "You know, you're wearing out. You're welcome." How, how about you, Brandon? Um, yeah, the uh, the females were like ten percent of the staff there, and probably ninety percent of the problem because. They'd come in nice, and these guys would just harass them to the point where they just start hating everybody. Which I mean, I understand because I mean they'd endure a lot of harassment. But uh, it was weird because I'm white, obviously, and like if if you said anything derogatory to a female guard, like you would probably the very least get punched in the face. And then the Chicanos, which is the American Mexicans, obeyed those rules too. But uh, the other races they let their people harass the females. So then the females would like just come in there and hate. It, it was pretty awful. Oh, I can imagine. I can't, I can't, I can't see any upsides. How, how did, uh, how was the sleep there? Were you always, I mean, I, I think that would be probably the worst part for me. I don't think I could sleep at all. We in didn't prison. have noise rules. And I was in, you know, most of the federal prisons are set up until you get into the highs where you get the wall, the partition. So you're in a 30-man unit, 120-man unit. Sleep sucks. Get some earplugs. Make some earplugs. Um, read until you go to sleep and, and sleep when you can. And if you, the more you can sleep in prison, in my mind, the better off you were. Yeah. I think that was probably – how about you, Brandon? Yeah, that sleep's hard in there because, I mean, it, even though we had the, the noise rules and people would still be loud up until that point in time, and uh, our wreck, like on the hard yards, you'd only get an hour or two of wreck a day. And sometimes it'd be at like five or six in the morning. And uh, you're not supposed to take naps in there. Like at least the white guys weren't allowed to take naps, especially on the higher yards, because you've got to be prepared at any time in case something goes off. So you get your sleep while you can. And I mean, yeah, I, I didn't sleep good for 11 years. So I sleep with one eye open too, I guess. Uh, Ginger, when you're, when you're, when you're talking to these people, so what's a typical, you know, is like a, as opposed to what is your therapy session or whatever as a psychologist, when you're doing individual, I assume counseling, uh, how is it compared to like a therapist that's talking to someone on the outside about their issues? Well, I think it's, it's comparable. Um, I, you know, I'm somebody because of my law enforcement, um, background, I have very good boundaries and I'm six feet tall. I used to be, I used to train at a competitive level. I'm in crummy shape now, but, but still I have more of an imposing presence that sometimes even with colleagues that are shorter than me, um, I end up with the small minded professionals, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, I, I don't tolerate any nonsense, but, um, I got a lot of respect at the last facility 
the some of the medical providers there was one in particular she wouldn't leave the facility unless she was accompanied because the prisoners knew she was not she wasn't somebody who was fair and equitable in her treatment but i would actually go on to the units where i could sit at a table and again i wanted to improve my spanish but i also wanted to have a, a kind of a a tenor of each of the units because we were seriously understaffed um at times when i was trying to leave the facility I would get to gates that were not manned and I'd have to go back and see if somebody could come and let me out of that gate. And then I might need the same, uh, meet the same issue at the next gate. We didn't, we were that short staffed, but to me to have a finger on the pulse of what's going on in the facility. So that's what I would do. I would go sit at a table and let prisoners come and talk to me. So a lot of what I was doing was actually informal because of the staffing issues. Um, and I would take back if prisoners were telling me, uh, you know, I had one situation where I had somebody in restricted housing unit, which was my, I had one other psychologist there, five years older than me. And he was the one that I filed the ethics complaint on. He showed clear evidence of cognitive impairment, clear evidence problems with executive functioning. He couldn't remember what he told me a couple hours later, but they kept him there because he would sign off on anything that they needed signed off. So they have a doctoral level psychologist. He'd put paper up on the window so nobody could see that he was doing continuing ed, watching Bannon's war room, doing everything but work. Um, mm -hmm. So, I, you know, it was a it was just a very odd situation. Um, but these big, if you look at WellPath, um, they've got any number of outstanding complaints. Um, they, yeah. And I lost. Well, 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 well Laurie Light has a question for you, Ginger. Okay. Uh, has, has she had any pedophile clients that perhaps have given her insight to today's abominations? Yeah, when I was with the Bureau of Prisons back 99 through 01, um, I did. And, you know, I don't have a problem working with anybody, regardless of how heinous their crime is, because I've been interested in psychopathology, sociopathy, psychopathy since my teens. I used to actually go to the hairdresser with my mother, and I was a tomboy. I rode motorcycles, but I went to the hairdresser just because I could read true detective magazines. That was the only reason I went. So I've always been interested and I have a, I, I just have a, whether you call it a sixth sense and I'll tell colleagues, we've got a problem. This is, and I've been borne out every time. And usually my colleagues look at me like I have a third eye. So I'm fascinated to speak with people about their crimes and to get a sense of what they're about. Uh, without any kind of judgment. That doesn't mean that I agree with their behavior, but I, I'm, yeah. Well, out of, out, of, out of all the people you talked to, which, which case, which person, I guess, were you most repelled by the crime they committed? And which person did you feel the sorriest for that, wow, this guy really didn't do it and he's in here, this is an injustice? Well, um, I, you know... The people who do the really heinous stuff, um, 
unless they want to basically kind of relive it in front of you and be titillated at the idea that they might be offending you or causing you. So, so what I what I would do, I had one woman when I was with the feds back 20 plus years ago, um, we had prisoners due to overcrowding in DC and California that came into the prison setting. They're a whole different ball of wax. Prisoners that come in from those kinds of settings due to overcrowding, then your typical, you know, I ran a group for uh, women domestic violence survivors that were also in there for being bank robbers. And, and some of them actually told credible stories that it was my boyfriend. He came out, I thought he was making a legitimate withdrawal and he comes out and he says, hit the gas, we've got to go. So there they are, they're in my group for being a bank robber. But I did have one woman, white female, who came in out of DC and she starts talking to me and heading down a path about having committed some murders that are that have not been adjudicated. Uh, yeah. And I, I said, hold on a minute. I don't have a priest collar. I'm here to help people to work through issues, to improve their lives, to develop coping strategies. But if you're going to go down a path that includes perhaps people whose family members are now dead and it's not been adjudicated and they don't know where they are, uh, I'm not going to guarantee you confidentiality. Good for you. So, right. uh, but while I was at that facility, you know, it was interesting. We had squeaky Lynette Frommy in the Max oh, unit. Oh, sure. Um, Manson gang, sure. And, right. Right. And, you know, and I said, because I would be assigned over there and I said, I really want to talk to her, but, but she's going to have to come to me. And eventually I was sitting in the middle because I like to sit in the middle and chat with people. And, and like I said, get a finger on the pulse of things. And uh, can I come over here and sit with you? Absolutely. And, you know, I could see how she ended up with that moniker squeaky. <laughs> Because she's just this little thing, you know, you'd never, but she was doing different kinds of, they bring in 60 minutes or 2020 and she would give interviews. So I said, no, I'm not going to go up to her. She's going to have to come talk to me. So she didn't make an appointment. She just came and sat down. So what did she, what did she have to say? Anything interesting? Oh gosh, 20 plus years ago. Um, I, it, just, you know, what was going on and how she was doing, but no, nothing, nothing earth shattering. What was most earth shattering was how benign, how normal she looked. Mm -hmm. And she was in the max unit because she had escaped after her conviction. So. Sure. Uh, Angry Tiger, when let's use somewhat the same question, all, all the years in prison, uh, did you first of all did you make many friends and did you get to know anybody where you thought wow this guy really got screwed over this guy is you know he shouldn't oh, be oh yeah <laughs> there's there's a bunch of people I, I i out of the prison system i gleaned and i didn't look i knew this is not the place to make friends right this is not someone <laughs> i want to bring home to my family right. but you know one of my friends you know a very good friend of mine he, he lives in northern michigan and we came from the same state and, you know, he was a country boy, so that was really hard for him being in the prison. But, you know, he's super intelligent. 
you know, and I'm friends, very good friends with him to this day. He got out. He didn't receive, you know, recidivism, no recidivism here. We both stayed out. He opened his own business. And then another friend of mine from New York that was, he's, he's a good guy. These are good guys, but railroaded. I got two good examples. The fishermen in their eighties from Watertown, New York, who caught one ton in their, in the, the conviction, it was hard to fight. I know the case, right? Because I helped work on it. One ton too many eel, which violated an EPA thing. Wow. But they, they're they out in the middle of the ocean. They pull in the net. Here comes the EPA. How many? Well, go to the thing and weigh right now. You know? Wow. So all these guys got 10 and 15-year-old sentences. Oh, I think the least yeah. sentence was eight years. They're in their <sighs> 80s. The youngest guy was like 70-something. Ah. Oh. You know, and then another guy, I'll never forget this guy. Now, this guy was, he was a big, scary guy. And when he talked, he's like, he, he roll his head and his eyes would roll back in his head. But he, that's just how he had to concentrate. But he was a convicted felon, had been, you know, on, on the men for many years, hadn't done anything wrong. And it was a federal felony he had been convicted of. And he was in a car with someone who had a bullet rolling around in the car. And he got felon in possession of a firearm. Oh, that's and, and you know this. That there's so many stories like that. So I, I that's, ten years, uh, dang. Brandon, how about you? What, what what were some of the most outrageous examples that you uh, learned about? Yeah, there was a uh, an old guy who was in his 80s that lived across from me. That uh, he was selling stocks in his own company. He had a mining company or something like that, and somehow the stocks he was selling in his own company, he got charged with, and he actually lived in a different state. And none of the states, they all refused to prosecute, but Arizona picked up the charges, brought him here, and gave him a deferred sentence. And he was probably in his 70s at this time, and his wife got sick. So he had to move somewhere to go take her to the hospital. And uh, they didn't give him permission to move. They actually told him he couldn't move, and he did anyway. She ended up dying, luckily, well, unluckily, but luckily before, because they found out where he'd moved to, picked him up, and gave him eight years. And I think he was... He was like in his mid eighties. He got out like a, a couple months before I did. He was actually in there with when COVID hit, got COVID and was out jogging every day. Didn't infect him at all. Well, that's a, that's a strong guy. What what were the what was the charge? Eight years for what again? What was the charge? He, he sold stocks in his own company and somehow <laughs> it was an illegal act or they weren't registered or he didn't yeah. pay. Yeah. His name's not Mitch McConnell. No, yeah, no, and, and, and you compare him to this guy. Uh, what's his name? Bragg, the guy that's going after uh, Trump now, who let a rapist out after thirty days, and he went under. I mean, how how does see? This is the system. I mean, I and I knew you guys must have a, a, a crystal clear vision of it more than I. I'm, luckily, I, my only experience with it was uh, just a few encounters I've ever had with cops were all bad. And, you know, I'm. I'm a peaceful guy. I don't go looking for trouble other than like when I'm talking about things, but uh, not violent. But I was a, an early drunk driving arrest way back as a pathfinder. I didn't even know about mothers against drunk drivers. They were just coming out. And so, you know, this, this guy pulled me over, profiled me. I had long hair and a beard, you know, it was three in the morning or whatever. And uh, I, I'm in my apartment complex and he wouldn't, he wouldn't let me go. But they didn't read me my. They don't read, I don't know if they read you guys. They didn't. They don't read you. They he certainly didn't read me my rights. He had the handcuffs on me, and that was it. And uh, made my life, you know, to, to the degree it could be at that age. I, I drove. I had to have uninsured motorist fee for a couple of years because I couldn't afford insurance. So it's a very small thing. But I was, I was just shocked at how you know these people are so unreasonable. Look, that's my partner right there, officer. There's, and, but of course, you know, the, 
DWI was starting to be a big ticket for them. So, but I can't imagine what you guys went through and you're seeing people even worse. So when you look now, Angry Tiger, how, how is it, how has it changed your view? I, I personally, I think the entire prison industrial complex ought to be uh, abolished. I think most laws ought to be overturned. And I think uh, we bring back penal colonies or something for, for very violent criminals that are proven guilty beyond all doubt. I don't know. What, what, are, what are your thoughts on our, our well, crazy you know, no, no, Knowing what I know now, Don, I mean, I'm terrified because I've been in that system. You can't fight it. You're an ant versus a steamroller. You're going to lose. You know, yeah. the, the average guy like me, you, anybody, even if you got a lot of money up, even to a guy who makes 500 grand a year, he's got, he's, it's a steamroller and an ant still, yeah. you know? So it terrifies me. Look what they did with the J6. When they turn this thing, it's already criminalized, right? It should be, they have, they make money in, in the federal prison system. They got Unicor. They make signs for every state and each Unicor does something different. Right. So it's a big indu- industry and it's, it's terrifying because they can use it as a weapon. I had my gun rights taken away from me, it, you know, for nothing. And I can never get them back because I'm a federal felon. You know, mm. that's just one example. And the problem is, is this, what, what it did to my, now that I doing all doing all the reading I've done and being in this world that we're in, you know, this, this world where we're a little bit more lucid about how the reality than other people. Okay. Mm -hmm. I've come to the conclusion they had it right. When the communities were smaller, you could still do the same thing today. You could quadrant places off where there's like 5,000 people and the cops know the people, the judges have heard of the people. Johnny lawbreaker is in front of the judge 10 times a week He's going to go into the local jail that the people, everyone knows about, right? So when, when the other guy hang, you know, kills somebody, he's going to get executed. And maybe, maybe you should make the people watch so they, the people in the society will set the rules. The rules will be severe for, you know, rape, murder, stuff like that. They'll see, oh, look what happens to me when I do this. I die, right? You know, look at, it's a heinous, I know I'm being heinous right now, but, and if it was smaller, the larger it gets, the more central control, the more authoritarian it is, and the more you're a number, not a person, and you, you just lose it, right? You know, yeah. the bigger something gets, the, the worse it is. Absolutely. Well, and the government, the, the problem uh, that I see is that if you're somebody who believes in the rule of law and following the rules and regs, I spent almost seven years with the Department of Defense, and I was in three and a half years of litigation with Fort Hood over the corruption there. You know, you, you heard about Vanessa Guillen. Well, there are dozens of other deaths on that post. But I will tell you, back in j- j- weekend of the week of July 4th, 2013, this is when I really ran into problems with the medical command. I had a guy come in. He was not assigned to the post, and he came in and acted like a thug. If you fail to maintain marginal military bearing in a military post, you get the ex-cop. You don't get the soft-hearted clinician who's wanting to help you work through PTSD. So the long and the short of it is there were multiple exceptions to confidentiality. He was facing adjudication for assault and family violence. So I called his chain of command and I said, I'm not releasing him from the clinic. He needs an escort called the MPs, took the three units, almost 30 minutes to get there. I wanted an assist. I watched them unload an M4 rifle, three loaded handguns, a shotgun, numerous rounds of ammunition, and who got punished? 
Now, I have to take annual training in insider threat, foreign and domestic, right? No, I got removed from patient care and the whole thing was whitewashed. Now, what did I walk into that day? And would my colleagues without prior police experience have located? No, I don't think they would have. They would have sent him on his way. He came in and asked for anger management. I said, you've already had anger management. What did you get out of it the last time? Nothing. It's a check in the box. Check in the box for who? Civilian court judge. Mm -mm. No, you are pending adjudication. You're not even deployable. Does your command know? No, they don't know. Well, they do now. So, but the point is, this all got unloaded and, and they pulled out a brown paper bag, shotgun shells all over the parking lot. Now, where did this happen? It happened directly across from the concertina wire enclosed crime scene of the Nidal Hassan um, massacre that was going before the federal magistrate the next month. So it was an inconvenient truth. But I don't know what I walked into because they whitewashed the whole thing. And I was the one that got punished. I had to hire a lawyer from an employer, employment lawyer out of Atlanta, Georgia, filed with the Office of Special Counsel out of Washington, D.C. And have there been repercussions? Yes, there have been repercussions. And that's why this is only the third podcast I've ever done, but I'm going to put together the Kinsey commentary on cognition <laughs> culture and corruption. And this is just the beginning because I have been a government employee, uh, employee and I'm going to tell you something. Those rules and regs, UCMJ, uh, US code, state regs, SOPs, I don't care what it is. They are there as checks in the boxes to tell, tell the American po people that for your tax dollars, we actually have rules and regs that we run by. No. They don't. They're checks in, in the in the box to say we do it, and they use it against you. Well, you know, when I, when I was a, a young guy, I, I, I've told the story many times. I was a, a big lefty, a member of the ACLU, and I first got, got into this civil libertarian, still a civil libertarian, still believe in that kind of uh, ACLU. They don't believe in it anymore. But uh, I was just, you know, we talk about rehabilitation. And you talk about prison reform. Nobody talks about that anymore. And uh, the, when, going back to the 1930s, again, I bring up Richard Halpin again, who was demonized in the media as Bruno, a name he hated because he was a German immigrant. So he's, you know, they wanted to make him guilty in the public mind. But he was he was amazed at our system. And I, I remember reading about him because he just couldn't. He thought, and I think anybody maybe coming from another society thinks this is the greatest country in the world. And when you go into a courtroom, the people in there are going to be interested in, in, in finding out the truth. The whole idea is going to be everybody's going to sit together. Let's work. Let's find out what really happened. If somebody did something, we'll punish them. If not, then we don't certainly don't want them punished. But he was shocked at what they did. I mean, they ended up doctoring his time cards. They did all these shenanigans things. They had handwriting experts that originally said no, they couldn't, and then later were paid off. And and the system is full of that. What what do, what does yes, it is? I mean, what, what, it's it should be these aggressive prosecutors, and that's why when even 30, 40 years later. They don't want to let an innocent man free even then because it's a black mark against them. Oh, you're the guy that uh, you're the guy that prosecuted him. That's a, you're a loss. I have to win. Right. I mean, this is this is such a sick system. And it's a, there has to be a better way. I, I believe you got lots of deserted islands in the world. Put the really violent criminals. there. I think they'd probably prefer that. 
You know, they could be free to do whatever the hell they want. Lord there. of the flies. Exactly. Right. Yeah, exactly. Let them do that and, and uh, keep them, you know, shark infested waters or have a patrol boat, you know, circling around. I mean, to me, that's it's much cheaper. All you have to do is pay for the cost of the boat. But uh, so that's my position. Should I ever? But you know what, Don? Time? The government doesn't work if you do. That's right. the bottom line. If you yeah. are a good worker who actually does what you're supposed to be doing, you'll run afoul. And I have found it in state, federal, <laughs> yeah. as well as local employment. It, it's just the bottom line. And, and the thing is, we talk about racism. We talk about sexism. No, the issue is favoritism, cronyism, and nepotism. That is what ruins systems. Nobody talks about it. And that's another reason I'm divorcing myself from the formal mental health profession because they're, they're, they bought in hook, line, and sinker with this nonsense that's going on in our culture. You see, Sam, Sam's Bodie's tree has advice for you, Ginger. Uh, you sh she should get on Rekita Law YouTube channel to reach a wider audience. Well, you know what? I started speaking out about what went on in the prison in Wellpath and my LinkedIn. I lost my LinkedIn account. They took my Twitter account down for disinformation, yeah. violating terms of service. Yeah. Welcome yeah, to the club. Welcome. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm on Facebook now and I don't like Facebook, but I'm there. <laughs> I'm on perpetual restriction. It, it runs it, it since the fall. It's been 90 days restriction, and I'm now out into June. Maybe get you at Rumble's a good one. Maybe start a sub stack and stuff like that, you know. Well, well Angry Tiger yeah. obviously is not shy about uh, talking about these issues. Uh, Brandon, how since you're out, are you um, are you gun shy sometimes where you, you think, okay, if I'm on social media, maybe I better not. I mean, or, is there something in the back of your mind that I don't ever want to go back there, so I, I want to be extra careful? Yeah, to a certain degree. I mean, I don't ever want to go back there. I'm still on parole, so I got a new parole officer that's kind of a nightmare. And the the one I had before was super easy going and pleasant. So that's. Kind and what do you have to you have to check in with them? Like how how often? Some I'm not enjoying dealing with all of a sudden. But how often do you have to do to, to check in with your parole officer work now, so he can come? Once a month, he comes to the house. Once a month, okay, but uh, okay. before, I just had to call her on the phone once a month. But now he's making me take a day off work and everything. And uh, I was taking, I have to take UAs for it. And she took me off because for 11 years in prison, I never had a dirty. And then a year out here, I never had a dirty. And he put me back on him. And I mean, it's not a big deal, but it's still a nightmare to go down there. It takes a couple hours. It's just to ruins your day. So, yeah, I mean. I can imagine and they probably are, are they are probably really looking hard at your living environment, looking for any signs of. Yeah, but it, the whole I don't know if it changed because COVID, because now even if you have dirty UAs or anything, they won't violate you and send you back for it. Eventually, if you have 20 of them or something, they just put you in an inpatient rehab for 90 days or something like that. It's... What's what's your what's your life like on the outside? Do you have a relationship? Are you living with anybody? And you said you mentioned a daughter. Do you have any other children? And how often do you see her? No, I, I, I have two daughters. I see somewhat regularly, and um, I have a job that I work, you know what I mean? Luckily, I had a trade, too, that, that they don't care what your past is because it's incredibly difficult, So, and it pays good, so I survived that way. 
Well, that's great. You're ahead. And of course, we know Angry Tiger's got a, he's got a, a a good job. He has his business, yeah. and uh, you're you're prospering uh, in in the world of uh, YouTube. Do you do you see? You said you mentioned one friend. Do you? I always wonder what it would be like if you if you like if you see somebody on the outside, maybe that you knew on the inside. I mean, I you, bump into them about I don't know every other month. I bump. How about you, Angry Tiger? Do you do you see see people that you were uh, well, that one friend? Yeah, we're very close. You know, my friend in New York, I don't see him a lot, but my one friend, I'll I'll drive out to his house. He'll drive down to mine. We're we we talk once a week, twice a week. Hold on a second. I think I think Brandon Brandon. Brandon you're, I don't think Brandon's hearing us. Okay, that's thanks, Brandon. Uh, I'm sorry, Angry Tiger. Um, so how about like guards? Do you what, what if you if you saw a guard? You know, you see that maybe I'm thinking Hollywood. But if you saw maybe a guard that, uh, I see the CEO, you know what, man, he, he's not all of them were idiots. Okay. Some of them are all right. Some of them are just trying to make a living in Bradford, Pennsylvania, where there's a Zippo company and there's, there's the prison and that's how they feed their kids. And not all of them are corrupt. Not all of them are, you know, they treat it as a job, you know? And actually, if you think about it like this, I only did five years. That guard has to do life. How long is that guard? He's got to work there 30, 40 years and be in that environment every single day. And that's how he makes his, you know, living. So I always, and even when I was in prison, I thought about that, you know. So, no, I don't, I'm not vengeful after anybody. Leave that to the Lord. Yeah, exactly. Um, how about you, Ginger, since you're kind of through with this system, do you, did you... I assume you made some enemies. Uh, do you ever see any of those people walking around? Um, no, because typically I was miles away. You know, my last prison stint, like I said, 20 into 21 was 800 miles round trip. Not that I took, uh, you know, the job because I want to be away because I'm afraid I'll run into people. I don't worry about that. Um, I never carried always, uh, once I left the job, but the last two years, I don't go anywhere unarmed and it has nothing to do with the population I worked with. It just has to do with the fact that I think we have a lot of irrational people uh, running around and we have a mainstream media that's doing the bidding of the powers that be to drive up emotions and emotional reasoning is an oxymoron. The more emotions going on, the less reasoning apt to be taken place. You know, when I work with people, I tell them, if you're really angry with your spouse, walk away. Don't run your mouth because you can't take that back. But yet we have a whole culture now that is running on emotional reasoning. And mm -hmm. it, it's just utter lunacy. Uh, you know, I almost got onto a telebehavioral health platform before I gave up my license. And that's anathema to me. I don't agree with it. We spend too much time in front of screens. We need genuine human interaction. Sure. However, I said, okay. And then I went into the chat room and there are professionals that are licensed that call themselves an it. You know, yeah. I, have, I have livestock, I have dogs. I don't call them an it. Do you really think a 30 something year old who calls themselves it is going to be able to help you 
remediate any of your problems? <laughs> I don't think so. Well, speaking but, of that, did you did you have to deal with? I'm sorry, dude, was it was it? Uh, no, oh, go ahead. Better chance with cousin it from the Adams family resolving <laughs> your your problems. Sorry, Don, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, you. no, it's yeah. like, uh, did you, Ginger, during your time? I don't know how long ago you left. Did so you had you gotten to the point where you had. Um, experience some people who were changing their pronouns and were calling themselves it perhaps i mean did, did you meet any people like that well uh, that chat group and i said you know this is really hard to believe so the moderator who was a woman half my age told me that you need to do some reading about gender and intersectionality <laughs> and all this other stuff so yeah. that you understand what people of color and, and, you know, the thing is working with the military, I have worked with people from all, well, and I worked at the border for almost two and a half years. So I have a very diverse background. I'd be on the phone with an interpreter for six or eight different countries. You know, I might have to be on with Russian, with, um, Oh gosh, Portuguese. The only thing I spoke was Spanish. Well, these people are speaking Haitian Creole and I was on the phone with all these different people. So anyway, this woman, half my age, and I'm a women's studies minor, by the way, in the early nineties. Okay. So, and when I went on the road as a cop in 1980, there were only a handful of women in the state. So she could run her mouth on the basis of people like me who forged the way for her. But, but more importantly, she then tells me, you know, as a white female, once I did the readings, I became aware that I'm really a lesbian and I became aware <laughs> of my privilege. And I said to her, I said, you know what? I have a real hard time with the fact that you think because we share the same color skin that you could even speak to my lived experience. And I turned in my resignation. I said, I can't work on a platform like this. This is nonsense. And the licensing boards are licensing these people out the wazoo. And that's why they're 500 complaints behind. And they're not addressing legitimate complaints with the providers that are already licensed. Yeah, well, it, it's, it sounds uh, like, um, let me unmute Brandon. Brandon, go ahead. I, I have been muting you because your background noise. But um, what... So life is life is okay for you now, uh, obviously. Uh, now, it, it, uh, angry tiger as well. Now, is are you guys allowed to vote if you're convicted felon or no? No, in in this state, after five years, you can apply to get your voting right back, which okay. I don't really know why they're rights if they can be taken away. But yeah. like my gun rights, I could never ever get them back. And I mean, I'd be okay with the voting thing if I didn't have to pay taxes right now, but. They still make yeah. me pay taxes, so I'm not quite sure why I don't. Well, you could them. be an illegal immigrant. They can. They're yeah. they're, they're, they're they're going to be voting. So, yeah. <laughs> At I, how about you? Is that same? Way I can you? vote in Michigan. I'm. I can vote. I can hold office. I can sit on a jury. Um, if it was a state felony, I could get my firearms rights back after a certain amount of time, which I can for the state. But well, if the ATF comes, you know, that's not worth the risk. But so yeah, I could. I can vote. Luckily. Well, the the guy, the eight, the how is that ATF guy still around? The one that I guess was responsible is is he still? I mean, I just wonder how you know if you might run into him or some point. You know, those guys, I don't know. They were gigantic guys, and I remember when they were taking me back. They they made me eat dirt, dude. I'm a, I was a little dude, yeah. right? They were they were big, six foot seven, at least 
300 pounds, you know, 280 pounds in buff or whatever. But I remember when they were taking me to their little building before they they were going to take me into the county there. And they're like, you know, they were talking about what they were doing on the weekend. I'm like, what do you guys do for the weekend? I was like, besides, you know, go to driving school. Cause I, you know, I'm scared to death. They're driving like maniacs, breaking every law, hundred miles an hour down, down the freeway. I'm like, you know, they're like, we're bounty hunters. So these oh. are the caliber of people. <laughs> yeah. The ATF is an unconstitutional organization. Yes. It should be abolished. It should have never existed. It's, yep. you know, and there's, you know, in, in the law enforcement, you have a lot of thugs there too. You, you mm-hmm. have a lot of, you have a lot of people that have personality traits and, and problems that they have not sorted out in their life yet. And now they're LARPing all this stuff, you know, live action role playing as, as police officers or federal agents. And that's scary stuff. No, you know, uh, one of the issues is um, because we're around a lot of military and ex-military um, and, and I'm not saying that military can't make the transition but civilian law is very different than being in the military, where everything has to be cleared through the chain of command. Um, when you're out there on the road, people are expecting you within the, you know, the letter of the law to make a decision and, and to do what you need to do. And we're out here in the rural area, but we've had some ex-master sergeants that are retired and trying to talk to them about how civilian law works this is what we need to, oh, no, 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 no. We need to have all the, and, uh, you know, my husband's prior law enforcement too. And he said, yeah, he said, some are going to make the transition successfully, but others, they're absolutely not. It's a very different world, civilian law versus military. Um, it's just different. No, it, it's, and I, you know, we, I, I have a very, one day I'll do a, uh, a show on police brutality and what people, I, you, I guess you guys didn't really experience that, but uh, that's where it all starts. I mean, the system is so bad, but it starts from the corruption of the cops. We, we mentioned, we touched on property early asset forfeiture. Do you hear any candidates talking about asset forfeiture? I mean, talking Respect about unconstitutional forfeiture. I mean, that's you, you know, this, I, the, the, one of the worst Supreme court decisions out of so many was uh, probably back in the nineties when this poor woman who her husband cheated on her with a prostitute and in her car, so she naturally was outraged enough that he was with a prostitute, but she uh, they confiscated her car because it was a crime scene. And so she said, wait a minute, it's my car. And, and, and they never gave it back. She appealed to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court upheld the right to take that. And it, it's been happy. People have lost houses. When, it, 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 poor old parents, mm-hmm. their, their, their young son comes in the house and deals drugs in the house. They lose their house. I mean, it's an outrage. Or I, cash, Don. If yes. people are driving down the road and, and you yes, took $10,000 yes. out to put money on a, a vehicle and, and you know somebody uses their judgment and brings in a drug dog, what's the likelihood that the cash is going to, the dog's going to signal positive? High likelihood. And then it's the state, it's the U.S. federal government versus $50,000. It's not the U.S. federal government versus yes, the person. That's right. It's the U.S. federal government uses you know, versus $50,000. And that's, it's a racket. It's like I was explaining on my show the other day. You have the, it's all corrupt. The Federal Reserve supplies the means of the corruption. The Leviathan government gets so corrupt. All these big centralized agencies get corrupt. And then it it all runs downstream like horrible crap. And all the people are swimming in it. 
You know, well, I mean, that's why my politicians are garbage eaters. That's what they do. No, that's right, Franco. And the thing is, the vast majority of people may be good, but they go along to get along. They don't want to incur the wrath of their friends. They don't want to stand out and apart from the group. But what they don't realize is if you don't have strong moral fiber, you end up adrift on the sea without sails, rudder, or engine. And, and you just go with the flow. And the way the government works, and this is where they use their rules, regs, SOPs, and whatever, is when you run afoul of them, that's when they stand up for the rules and regs. Otherwise, they want you to go along to get along, like the incident I mentioned with the weapons. Why would somebody bring a whole cache of weapons onto post? It's flat out illegal. You cannot, and never mind that they were loaded. They have to be declared at the post. They have to be unloaded. Now, of course, they pulled me in a number of times to search my vehicle. Now, I'm not going to bring a weapon onto post, but he walked. And I will tell you, this was a God wink. Nine months to the day after that was found. And, and you know, the police report that was written up was not even worthy of a miscellaneous service report for an unfounded dog bite incident. Nine months to yeah. the day, we're locking plate glass windows, uh, plate glass doors. We've got another active shooter on post shooting people down in the medical annex on April 2nd, 2014. And you know how we found out? Not with the post early alert system. We found out through CNN on the big screen TVs in the largest freestanding medical clinic in the entire DOD. So what is that about? How did CNN, because I tried to reach out to media, nobody would take my stories. How did they get through to CNN? You see, I, I don't think these things are accidental. These are not coincidences. The government is out to get our weapons just like they did in australia you you know the austerity and what's going on in australia so they are trying to inflame the masses to pass more laws when we're not even enforcing the laws we have i'll never i'll take a bullet before i well, will well the system is so is, is so rotten that again people understand when <clears throat> when you hear <clears throat> a trump or somebody like that running as a law and order candidate understand what that means they're defending this law. They're not running. So, I mean, this is the, the last thing we need are more law and order, are more cops, are more power for cops, or to give judges any more power. I mean, we should be looking at trying to restrain these people and fewer laws so that, you know, every, every time a new law is passed, it creates a new group of criminals, right? I mean, we have way too many laws. That's the libertarian in me. So we're, we're, we're getting down to uh, the last few minutes. I want, I want to go around the, uh, the table, uh, Angry Tiger, any closing thoughts you want to have and make sure you give all your links and everything? Yeah, real quick. I just want to say while while I was there, you know, I I, I was I had the, the the presence of mind to keep my mind and improve myself, you know, and that, that's what I try to tell people on the show all the time. Improve yourself. You know, I, I learned how to lead, read legalese. I was able to represent myself later in life in my own court cases, pro se. You know, I when I left, I, I was a per certified personal trainer. I took the test when I got out of prison. And that's, I know about, you know, working out and taking care of your body and eating right. And, you know, started reading Robert Graves and stuff like just, I, I enriched myself and I took that bad, bad, that's what I want everybody to get from this. You could take a bad experience, the worst experience, and you can learn from it, no matter what that experience might be, whether you're in prison 
or you're going through a divorce or some kind of tragedy, when you sit back, look for the good in it and try to glean it. You know, that's that that's my main advice. And you can find me every Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern time at Nights of the Storm. We're on YouTube, Rumble, um, and uh, Substack. No, we don't have a Substack. YouTube and Rumble on Nights of the Storm. You can find me uh, also Angry Tiger on Wednesdays on uh, YouTube, you, The Tiger's Den. Uh, my Substack's Angry Tiger's Newsletter. I am on Rumble at The Tiger's Den. Um, and I have a Twitter. It's AngryTigerFireworks.com. Hold on, hold on a second. We got Tom Cooper here. Tom. Whoa. <laughs> okay, well, we're yeah. almost there. Tom Cooper, it's great to see you, but the show's almost over. <laughs> Basically. I, no. I, I'm at the job site now. Well, that's I'm, I'm glad you could join us. So uh, I I don't know. I guess we can go over a few minutes. Quick, just quickly uh, tell us, Tom Cooper, another uh, uh, no, guys no, in the no, chat room. Turn off. Okay. Well, okay. It was it was good. Say hello yeah. to you. I'm sorry. Yeah. We'll talk next time. Okay. Pleasure Bye. meeting you, Brandon. Yeah, thanks. Bye. Bye, Brandon. Hey, well, Brandon, go ahead and. Oh, no. Where'd Tom go? Oh, Tom left. I was gonna. Oh. Well, oh, oh, Tom. Hello, Tom. There he is. Oh, there's not. What happened to Brandon? Why did he leave? I'm sorry, Brandon. I didn't get to let Brandon sum up. He was going to be next. Okay, I'm sorry. Go, go ahead, Tom. Real quick, I, we only have a, a couple minutes, but uh, your story is what, what it, briefly what happened to you and uh, and, and to to give you the prison experience. <laughs> uh, well, let's see. Um, I I mean, there's been a number of times, so it wasn't just one. Oh, so you're um, a veteran. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I probably was in there about three or four times. Um, wow. Um, original, my original uh, charge was for mail theft. Um, they gave me a year and a half. Violations and then uh, I caught another charge. I did nine months in uh, county jail and then 18 months in federal prison on a, um, on a violation. So, yeah, that's kind of um, the, the, the violation. Uh, I caught a new charge on that. Um, I actually had a gun charge. I got lucky. Get up, so. well, your, your, your sound's breaking up, too. Tom, 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 I'd love to hear more of you. We are, we're, we're, uh, I want to make sure. And I, um, can, I, can you hear me? Yeah, Tom's frozen. Frozen. Uh, yeah, Tom, Tom I'm, I'm sorry, man. I wish you'd come on earlier. We'd like to hear your whole story. And I, I feel bad about Brandon. I didn't cut him off, did I? I don't know what happened. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Okay, I'm sorry. Tom, I'm sorry that you're breaking up and everything. So we'll, we'll have to talk to you again. Maybe we'll have a part two, and we'll try to get more people who've experienced uh, hey, no life. No worries, brother. Okay, and I, I appreciate your support. It's, it's nice to see you. Peace Good be with you, you, Tom. And uh, Ginger, go ahead, and I want you to to sum up and uh, you know to give us any links or whatever. Well, I guess the one thing I'd like to say is that oftentimes people are driven by what they will think about them, and I encourage people that I work with: if you don't know the moral fiber, the values of the person you're concerned about managing your impression with. Why do you care? They could be a closet pedophile. It doesn't matter. 
But the other thing is that most of the time you can twist yourself into a pretzel and you're never going to know whether your efforts at impression management have the desired effect. But by compromising your values, you may end up with one foot on the slippery slope and the other one on a banana peel. And if that's the case, the government will use its rules and regs against you. Absolutely. Well, certainly happy for that you all made it. This is an exciting show. Uh, Tony, if you're out there, did you uh, you want to come on for the last minute? You have anything to say? I know Tony's been listening. Nice white wolf. Our Lady of Fatima, absolutely, Our Lady of Fatima. Great film too. You know they still show that movie, The Miracle of Our Lady of Fatima. We should talk that- about that one day because nobody talks about that, and that's a modern yes. day thing. Yes, I, I you have know, a, debunk it if somebody wants to get on here and try to debunk it or whatever. But I would, I would love to discuss that. Yeah, it's it's an incredible, uh, really experience. Uh, thousands of people witnessed what happened. Uh, you know, this World War One era and uh, the, the three predictions the Virgin Mary made. And uh, yeah, uh, yep. looks like the first two came. We still not sure the rumors about the third one. Tony, if you're there, buddy, you want to shut us down? There he is. There's Tony. Got it, Don. Great show. Sorry, Good. I've been inundated with customers here in the shop which is good just people trying to turn their soon-to-be worthless fiat currency into the real money <laughs> so that's been- the best we can do and uh i want to thank all my guests uh, uh angry tiger brandon hatch who i'm sorry i don't know what happened i'll have to email you and find out but i certainly hope you don't think i cut you off ginger kinsey uh the brief <laughs> the brief appearance of uh tom cooper that was great to, to see you for a little bit and thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll, we'll have to do another show on this uh, in the future. It's a very big issue. We have a completely corrupt legal system, as everyone, I'm sure, knows. But these nobody knows it better than these people who've experienced it firsthand. Thanks so much for listening to I Protest. Talk to you next week at the exact same time. Thanks.